Welcome back to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Michael. We're three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you the stories behind some of the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times and other interesting musings about the songs that have inspired us over the years. In today's episode, Michael is going to tell us the story behind Box of Rain by the Grateful Dead. Take it away. Thanks, Tim. I just had to do a podcast uh, on a Grateful Dead song, and so I thought I'd choose one of the ones that was the most listenable and perhaps one of the best well-known. Certainly, maybe Truckin' probably and uh, Touch of Grey off uh, one of their second-to-last album, perhaps uh, got more airplay and did better on the charts. But I think Box of Rain is a song that is uniformly just loved by both deadheads and non-deadheads alike. Box of Rain is off the 1970 studio album American Beauty. Uh, the song behind it is pretty simple and I think quite touching. Uh, it was written by Phil Lesh, the band's bassist. Uh, it was a song for his father, who was dying of cancer. And Phil wanted to have a song so that he could sing to him before he passed away. His father was in a hospital and then in a hospice. Uh, and Phil would drive uh, to go see him every day. Uh, and wanted to have something, you know, that, again, that he could sing to his father before he passed and would practice this song, driving to the hospital and to the hospice to see his father. Um, something that deadheads know is that Phil is not the best singer in the world. Uh, just not, just does not have the talent for it. Uh, in The Grateful Dead, Phil was indisputably the best musician. He was somebody who went to you know UC Berkeley, majored in music, didn't graduate because he went off to start a group that would become The Grateful Dead. But uh, Phil was was really considered kind of the professor and the 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 one who really understood music at a theoretical level. Um, but you know, coming back to the point, Phil was not a, a great singer, and so uh, you know, for Phil to want to have a song to sing to his father, uh, probably something that he would need to practice a lot, and got that opportunity on the drive to see his father. The song was written uh, through a process where Phil just you know wrote the chord changes uh, and and constructed the melody uh, and with the coda and everything. Um, and then took the those things, uh, you know, essentially the music of the, in the song, to Robert Hunter, who was the lyricist for the Grateful Dead, who worked principally with Jerry Garcia. Uh, and Phil told Hunter what uh, essentially he wanted to accomplish with the song, uh, and then Hunter sat down uh, to write it. It was one of those songs. Sometimes you hear songwriters talk about how the words just flow out of them, and the song writes itself. Well, that's Hunter's description for this song. He said he sat down and, and the words flew out of him as fast as the pen could pull. And so the song, uh, you know, was finished and then Phil actually had the opportunity to sing it to his father before he passed on. Uh, the song originally was, uh, or the lyric was, Ball of Rain. Uh, and really what it's about, or the, the imagery that it evokes, is uh, the ball of rain being the earth, and I don't know who put it there. Uh, kind of the mysticism, uh, you know, of that of that question, and the beauty of the earth, and how it how it came to be, um, you know, something that Phil wanted to, an emotion that Phil wanted to share with his father, and the concept, perhaps, of passing on. The, again, this came from the 1970 studio album American Beauty. Uh, the Grateful Dead were clearly a live band. Their studio work was never their, their best work, but uh, you know this song really came across with just a, a beautiful sound. You know, the production of it 
uh, is, is just gorgeous. It, the song would usually be played in concerts if you ever had the opportunity to go to a dead show. Um, very reluctantly, um, we, you know, the, the audience would chant, we want Phil, we <laughs> want Phil. And most of the time, Phil wouldn't sing. I think he recognized that you know, singing wasn't his strong suit. Um, and really was quite wretched at times uh, when he tried to sing. He had a hard time finding the right key. Um, but, Sounds like me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with the, with the appropriate goading from the audience, Phil, you know, would come out and sing, and it was typically this song uh, that he chose. Uh, some of the other great songs, by the way, that he sang, uh, Bob Dylan's Just Like Tom Thumb's Blues. I mean, Phil Lesh just nails that song. You know, I have to have the opportunity sometimes to at dead shows to sit in. You know what the fill zone is, Trey? <laughs> Never heard of that. The fill zone is the area of the Coliseum or the arena where they're playing, where uh, you get the best fill sound, right? So in in the mix that comes out of the speakers, you know, in different areas, uh, you'll 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 get the monitors and the and the real acute sound for particular instruments. And if you went and sat over you know, kind of to the left of the stage, you would be in the fill zone and really get kind of the heavy bass and be able to hear drop what they called the fill bombs. And he would go very <laughs> to very low registers on his bass. How would you know uh, where where the fill zone was? I guess it was always the same. It, it's always in the same area. Um, there's you, you actually find it by the the deadheads who are wearing fill zone T-shirts would be <laughs> over in the fill zone. But nice. you, you generally just knew um, from having, I think, into shows before or going with the right people, I guess. Um, the song, uh, being such a great and classic Dead song, it's perhaps appropriate that this was the last song that the Grateful Dead ever played uh, in July of 95 at Soldier Field. Uh, of course, it wasn't intentional. This wasn't uh, a band that stopped playing because they broke up and had a planned, you know, kind of finale big show. Uh, you know, the dead broke up when Jerry Garcia died, uh, I think, of, of health complications. Um, notably, I, I had, had seen uh, Jerry Garcia play a show about a year before this at the Warfield in San Francisco. And it was clear at that time that he wasn't going to be around for very long. He seemed healthy enough, but his mind just was not there. I think he appeared to be heavily on drugs. Um, his his memory had, had, had deteriorated so much that he had been using a teleprompter for many years to read the, the lyrics of his songs because oh, wow. he was notorious for forgetting his place. Um, but even at this time, even with the teleprompter, there were several songs uh, where Jerry just stopped singing in the middle of the song and played. And it was qu clear because he was having a problem getting the lyrics out of his mouth. Uh, so, you know, not, not long after that... Uh, you know, they had this this final show uh, where they played American Beauty for the last time. I think I saw them in uh, 90, 93 or 94 in Virginia. And, uh, yeah, Jerry seemed a little bit out of it. I still remember uh, being in my office on the day that he died. You know, a lot of people talk about Kennedy, you know where you were when he died. Well, I think the only person that I can remember where I was when I died, it was Jerry Garcia. I was in my office in Washington, D.C., and I happened to have a gym bag with me with a tie-dye t-shirt in it. So I took out my tie-dye t-shirt and I hung it on my door so that, you know, as uh, uh, a tribute to uh, to Jerry. And I've, I've actually got a sticker, too, of, of Jerry Garcia, kind of a stylized picture of him, uh, you know, all funky colors. And I've kept that sitting in my office for 
ever since I've been an attorney. 15 years, 16 I, years. I think I remember seeing that in your office. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember where you were when Kurt Cobain died? No. When Kurt Cobain died, I was house-sitting for my boss. Yeah. See, that, that's, that's one that I remember. Yeah. Where were you when John Lennon died? You know, I think I was eight years old, and uh, I was probably at home watching a Western. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was watching Fantasy Island. <laughs> yeah. Was that, ni was that 1980? Yeah, 1980. And, uh, yeah, wow. That was quite a night. I... I'll never forget that night. To just to watch those images on on TV, still amazing to to think of that. Anyway, that's a different podcast. I broke my kids in uh, early um, to Jerry Garcia. He he had a couple of songs on a kids album, um, and they were really good songs. One of them was called "Ain't No Bugs on Me," and uh, my kids used to love to sing that in the car. That was Jerry Garcia. It was pretty cool. Here's my Jerry Garcia story. I uh, have to wear a tie every day to work, and um, I went out one day just to be rebellious and buy a, a Jerry Garcia tie, and I almost wore it to work as a way to stick it to the man. And I realized, man, if you are sticking it to the man by your choice of neckties you got to figure out some better way to do it because that is just not the way. So I've, I've never actually, I've never actually worn that tie because I, I couldn't do it after that. That would be a quiet rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wear my Jerry Garcia necktie. So it's hard to talk about the Grateful Dead without talking about uh, the cultural revolution in the United States uh, in the, the summer of love, the, the acid tests. I mean, the Grateful Dead were at the center of what was, you know, really one of the the most profound social movements in the United States in the last century. <laughs> well, now that I led into that scintillating conversation, <laughs> let, let me kick my cohorts here and see if they're still alive. <laughs> Oh, a lot of great music came out of that time. There's no doubt. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me rustle up another softball here to throw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> My eight year old could have hit that You're one. You're totally like E. F. Hutton. You talk and we listen. That's right. <laughs> oh, that would have been a magical time, San Francisco in the 1960s. So much great music, you know, when you think about Jefferson Airplane at that time, great music. Uh, Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, yeah. a big brother in the holding company. Yeah. The Doors. Well, I guess they were L.A., weren't they? You know, and the acid tests were, um, you know, at a time where LSD was more or less unknown to people and legal to, you know, have these, uh, these concerts in which, uh, you know, everybody, including the band, were... You know, dosing on some mind-altering drugs that at the time was not illegal, uh, and you know, really experiencing it. it, it it's it's funny that 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 those concerts really were kind of the spark that ignited uh, what became uh, a real ex exploration of the bounds of acceptable behavior. What what has happened to the other members of the band ever since uh, Jerry died? They, they haven't toured as Grateful Dead, right? They have not. Uh, I think they were respectful to the, um, you know, to the interests. Uh, they they changed their name to The Dead, 
uh, and tour have toured off and on uh, since you know like '95. Um, as the Dead, uh, Phil Lesh put together a band called Phil Lesh and Friends. Uh, Bob Weir put together a band called Rat Dog, or actually had a band called Rat Dog that he continued to play with, uh, and they were, you know, all outstanding. It, it never had, I think, the the synergy that you got from uh, having Jerry Garcia um, as the unwilling, uh, reluctant lead man of that band, uh, but they clearly played some great music. What do you suppose has happened to all of the uh, deadheads who no longer have the band to follow? The great, they, they didn't miss a step, and they started following other bands. <laughs> uh, oh, like Fish. The Fish, yeah. Fish, Fish uh-huh. was uh, probably the most prominent. Uh, widespread Panic was a was a big band that everybody followed. Uh, and then uh, the Dave Matthews Band. There's, a, I think, a lot of former deadheads that uh, went on tour with Dave Matthews Band. Uh, I'd, I'd hate to think that those guys would all have to settle down and get a job and start wearing a tie, yeah. well, <laughs> even a Jerry Garcia tie. Yeah, I think you bring up a, a, a good point. You know, it's a how do we talk about the dead without talking about the dead heads? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the I've, I've no, I know lots of people that have been to many dead shows and have never actually been inside of one. You know, to see the music. I mean, the 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 outside, you know, party atmosphere and the the carnival and the the vendors uh, is is really a show in and of itself. Uh, I think my my mom's been to a dead show with me and just walked around and, and looked at all kind of the interesting people. The the deadhead, you know, outside of a dead show in 1994 was not probably dissimilar to what I think probably Haight Ashbury looked like in 1968. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the people are wearing the same clothes. They're uh, you know, kind of creating the same art, the same jewelries, the same kind of naturalistic hippie thing that was going on in the late 60s was alive and well, you know, 30 years later, um, you know, outside of a dead show. Uh, it was often described as a time war. I remember the first time I introduced somebody to the Grateful Dead was playing uh, American Beauty in the background. And uh, he asked who the band was. I said, oh, this is the Grateful Dead. And he was stunned. He thought, the Grateful Dead was some acid rock band, you know, based on the name. He didn't realize that they were this great folk rock outfit. Folk, yeah, folk, country, bluegrass influences. Um, yeah, very eclectic. Uh, the Grateful Dead is uh, inaccessible to a lot of people, you know, be, perhaps because of you know the song formats. Um, you, I mean, not dissimilar to you know the early, the early Pink Floyd stuff, where you just go off and play for forty minutes, uh, and then come back to a lyric every now and then. Um, <laughs> Any song worth playing is worth playing for forty minutes, playing right? For forty minutes, but you know that's again, it's why I chose this song. Cause American Beauty is uh, it's AM radio play format. Uh, it's just a beautiful uh, kind of short song with a real catchy hook um, that uh, you know people just love. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Michael. Uh, thank you to the listeners. Uh, appreciate uh, your support and, and your comments on our, our Facebook page. Uh, we again encourage you to like us at Rocktail Hour on Facebook. You can contact us at dudes at rocktailhour.com. And as always, come back and check out our podcast next week and rock on. <laughs> <laughs>